0: Ah, it almost feels good. There's a there's a certain levity that's been brought to the situation here in the 610 ESPN Philadelphia studio. Welcome to Crossing Broadcast. No Eagles this week. Well, no Eagles game. And it's almost as if there's, a, I don't know, a little a little pep in the step around here. We don't feel like we're lamenting walking to the funeral of the Philadelphia Eagles. There's
1: a weight
2: lifted off your
1: shoulder. You're, you're, is. You're too positive today.
3: No. Maybe it's the warm weather. The... It was yeah, seasonably that, warm weather that has Russ the fake
0: news weather out there. I would
2: prefer to be talking about the Eagles still playing in the playoffs, but it's nice, yes, not to have to talk about talk about the medical tent anymore. Uh, Mike Groh, not around anymore. We don't have to talk about him. Not Mike Groh. Don't have to talk about Carson Walsh. So, yeah, it's, so, a, it's a different. Uh, there's a different uh, vibe. Corey in the studios. Corey Onlin, we can talk about him. We'll talk
0: about that in a second. We, <laughs> You uh, just heard the dulcet tones of Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. How's everybody doing on a Monday evening? Next to him, with a backwards cap, smile. Smile on his face and love in his heart. Bob Wankel, find him on Twitter, at Bob WankelCB. Can we talk about some baseball tonight? <laughs> <laughs> are we going to talk a little baseball yeah, but, yeah, in january Yeah, but in fairness, it's not really about this team, is it? No, nah, it's probably going to be about the Astros, huh? Yeah, all right. I guess our team's not good enough to talk about, huh? Yeah. Next to me, Anthony Sanfilippo. I'm looking forward to talking about baseball. It's been a while. I miss you over there. I All know clicking yeah. you as people changing the channel.
1: <laughs> I disagree, Ross. You're so clueless.
0: <sighs> this in this town, baseball matters
1: more than you even can can you even fathom.
0: Yeah, when the season's going on, when the team plays well.
2: I disagree. I disagree. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. You want to start with that? You want to start with the Houston Astros 2017 World Series champions asterisk on top of it. What was the list of punishments? They got a $5 million fine.
3: Had to forfeit, I believe, two years of first and second round draft picks, uh, which will translate to to being bottom half, like 26 through 30. They're still Still. a top five to six team in baseball. They'll still pull an amazing player out of there. And then obviously, uh, manager A.J. Hinch and uh, the general manager, Jeff Lunau, were suspended from... From today till the completion of the 2020 season, but they were then fired a short time later uh, by Astros owner Jim Crane, so. which was
1: that surprised everybody. Surprised right.
3: why? Why did that surprise everybody?
1: I, because they didn't. There was no talk that that was the direction that they were going to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luno or Lunal and um, and Hinch were widely considered the best at what they do mm-hmm. in this in this league, and so getting a one year suspension. Remember I mean, the last time. Not, we're not even um this isn't even baseball but the last time uh, a coach and a general manager were suspended for a year was in new orleans saints right mm-hmm. uh sean payton you know bounty, bounty, bounty gate. gate bounty gate they weren't fired they just sat out the year and then all of a sudden they came back and, and played the next you know they were running the team again the next year so i think that a lot of people thought that that's what the astros were going to do the considering
2: being that these guys are too good to let go like we're just going to take it and right. roll with it and we got our world series and well, whatever well, and it's it's enough we're we're fine yeah. with it if it has to be though Right. Yeah. And yeah. then
1: for the owner to come out today and basically say, we are cleaning house. We are washing our hands of this. We are starting over. We don't want to be associated with the the notion of cheating the sport of baseball. I think it caught everybody by surprise, but it was the right
2: thing to do. So does that change anything for you or as a, any baseball fans, do you think they're looking at this and say, well, they did the right thing, therefore, or you're still looking at it and say, well, I mean, at the end of the day, they still cheated yeah it's still
0: (laughs) I think that the
3: implications beyond the Astros and does it taint the World Series are more interesting than really the discussion about the Astros I mean you look at players who who lost money by not advancing in the postseason against this team yeah guys that gave up key home runs that have to take their numbers to arbitration and say hey you know i gave up seven runs in that that two and a third inning performance look at my balloon dra like that had ripple effects across yeah. the league wasn't it there's you, gonna be a lot Darvish of issue
2: came out and had, yeah. had some beef about that yeah. Like, yeah yeah yeah
3: and he was never quite right after that you know he, yeah, he was it took series, him a while yeah. to kind of get it back and so Gir-
1: I, girardi lost his job yeah, as he the he manager of the Yankees <laughs> <laughs> because of that. Yeah. Well,
2: if that if the has never cheated, Girardi would have never lost his job, and he would <laughs> never have been hired in Philadelphia in the first place. Uh, what's the movie Inception where there's yeah. layers yeah. upon yeah. layers of of it's Like butterfly, the butterfly, uh, Butter- the butterfly, butterfly effect, effect. Yeah. six degrees of separation. So here, here let me tell you this because I don't, I don't like I w- I'm the least. Uh, I'm, I'm out of all the four people here, I, I know the least about baseball. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a baseball guy. But I get this like kind of macro viewpoint of it from afar where it's like, okay, you got this, you got Pete Rose, you got the steroid era. Like, why does it feel, does it feel like it's another one of these, is it, is it fair or unfair for me to say, well, it's baseball and cheating again. Here we go. Or is it? Or do we just not um, well, look at it in other sports the same way that we do in baseball? Like is is it not because it's not America's pastime? I, I, I could sit here and point out all pristine. the cheating that's going on in football. Yeah. So why right? do I? So why do we like? I, I don't know. I get the sense that it, it, people talk about it more, highlight it more when it comes to baseball or something like that. Because
1: like, because of the sport's been around longer than anything else. It, the pastime
2: it, thing, it, it's, the history of it. And it stuff it's like that.
1: very. It's it's a sport that's. That takes itself a little bit more seriously, I think, than the other sports do. And I think the
3: technology aspect of it factors in. And it was just such a—I mean—the steps that they took to do this were just so dishonest. And Pete Rose—he's like Pete Rose—bet on his own team. Yeah, you know, like people that mentioned Pete Rose today, and this isn't you, Kevin. I know you're just—you kind of mentioning it like it's a one of many incidents with Major League Baseball. It's a pockmark, but that has—I mean. That's nothing, you know. In the grand scheme of things, that especially in tw- 2020, like, right? Ah, you know, whatever. I, just the extent that the, they went to and the the system that they developed, it just it's baffling. And really, I think that baseball and other professional sports have a little bit of in. An- a dilemma on their hands because now you have the legalization of sports gambling right to roll this in here yeah right. and and the idea that this is a controlled market now and a legal market it's one thing when you're doing that against the law say hey you know what regulation oh well but this is a, a regulated industry now and you have these teams that are just you cannot do this and so i think that part of it is baseball setting a, a precedent saying we will not tolerate this and i i i credit the Astros owner for taking the additional step to fire because I think in the grand scheme of things that those one year suspensions would have been inconsequential. I don't think it would have. In fact, it didn't even move the Astros odds to win the world series after they announced the punishments because it it really had no impact on them.
2: So here's a question. This is probably more for fans than us, but would you take all of that if it meant a Phillies world? Series? Hell yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So what is the Astros fans today are hanging their heads in shame? That Oh, the 2017 World Series was tainted because they were banging on a trash can. Well, it's like and it's like, I mean, and and it's like you know when well, Louis
2: Louisville th- vacated in college basketball and stuff like that. I mean, the games were still played. And here's here's
1: the reason why it's not. I I if if you're a Phillies fan, you wouldn't be upset because th- there were letters sent out to these teams from the commissioner's office at the time, actually the season before, mm-hmm. right, warning them that there's been a lot of talk. Internally, that this stuff's been going on. Mm-hmm. It cannot happen. Stop cheating. Don't do it. You get caught. There is going to be punishment. So it's not like the Astros were the only team that was looking for an advantage. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There were there were teams that lost a hundred games that were probably cheating in some capacity. Yeah,
2: if, what's what's the saying? If you are not ch- cheating, you are not trying. Right. You know, everybody's or looking for some kind. Jesse of
1: Jesse Ventura, right? I mean, what do you yeah. say? You win if you can, lose if you must, but yeah. always cheat, right? Yeah. I mean, that was that was the famous saying. So I mean, like it's you know it it was a sport problem mm-hmm. and the the Astros just happened to be the first team that got caught and this is the punishment and it's going to get worse because Alex Cora the manager of the Red Sox it's coming next he was the guy involved the two scandals he was the only coach who was involved with the Astros scandal the yeah. others were all players he was the coach that was involved in that goes and gets a job in Boston they win the World Series very next year and they're cheating. Yeah. So what's his part? I think gonna he's going
3: to be fired. I I, I don't know scandalous. how you, I don't know how you survive that right. after what happened today. So if you're the owner of the Red Sox, are you proactive and just fire him now, or do you get your name dragged through the mud, then suspend him, then well, fire you, him? Can, you I don't know. I think I you mean, have to just, give him due process, I think it sends right? a bad
2: message to everybody else if you just go ahead and fire somebody, yeah, without due process going through, because then it's like. Because then it turns into, like, I hate to make this comparison, but then it turns into, like, a, a Kate Smith thing where you just put the blanket on the statue before you even actually do an, an right. evaluation of it and, like, take stock of, of the opinions and let, let the whole thing play out. But, I mean, I think it seems inevitable that it's probably going to end up in that place, right? So... The question is, would you would you hire Hinch or the general manager, Well, So or, or, along or those, those lines, Lunau out comes out
3: today and, and issues a statement just about 10 minutes ago. And he says, you know, uh, I did not know rules were being broken. As the commissioner set out in his statement, I did not personally direct oversee or engage in any misconduct. And he kind of pointed it on lower level employees. He said yeah. that was a field staff thing. It wasn't my deal. I would have stopped it. He said, had I known now, Anthony, you, you said, uh, kind of Emphatically that that he won't get hired again, and I mean, it, it's interesting to me though because you mentioned the Saints. Sean Payton goes away for a year, comes back. You no, know, I think that people in New Orleans have kind of forgotten about it. Or do you think that he's just toxic to ownership around baseball at this point? I
1: think it's this, I think it's a blackball thing. I think it's a thing where you gotta. You don't want to associate. It's it, you don't, you don't, the don't want to associate yourself with a with a cheater.
3: But if people around the uh, the game can validate, like internally, they know, and fans are going to say what fans are going to say, and I know it's the perception, perception matters. Yeah, that's, I get it. That matters more. But than do anything. you think that people around the game why, say, "Listen, he? Why does he Colin did,
1: Kaepernick have a job? Not have a job? Oh, well, that's that's a whole other. Thing. It's well, perception, though. It's perception. It is.
2: if he can get to, if they can get to a point where they can you know clear clear their name to the point where you know the public is okay with it, then it's fine. I right. would just be curious
3: if I had a team that was really struggling that that needed that rebuild he he's done it he was outstanding at it he's he's done it probably about as well as anybody has in the last 20 25 years he was really responsible for that someone said it earlier today i read the second wave of analytics in baseball i mean he really ushered that thing in and i I would just be curious if i were a team that's been out of contention now for eight to ten years I don't maybe have the the financial means necessary at this time. Like, I just think that there's going to be a, a place
0: for this well, guy if, in the game again. Well, well, if, if you're I, if you're an owner though, like who are you trying to cater to? Your fans or to? Do you think the if la- you hire uh, him? Just, well, no, and he, this he is, wins? is what this is yeah. what I'm getting at though. If if you're an owner, do you care? Say like the Phillies. Say Middleton goes out. Saying there G- is and, a GM and, that's and, been and, underwhelming and and, 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 uh, and decides that it's time to move on from Clint Tack because this guy became available and he and he's done such a great job of building a, a World Series winning team. Do you care if the Chicago Cubs fans are ragging on you on, no. on Twitter? No. And do you really have to do that hard of a sell? Because this is the thing. Do you have to do that hard of a sell to your own fan base? Because initially people are going to be like, ah, man, Like he was caught in cheating. He does one press conference, this GM. If he does a good job in that press conference, he's going to sway probably 70% of the naysayers. And then over the course of the next season or two, when the whole program gets turned around and your team goes from an iffy team and becomes a contender or becomes a team that starts to breathe life back into the franchise, then all of a sudden, like, you know... You know Philadelphia would immediately. If
3: you win in this city, they will, they will bury you. bodies for you. Yes. Yeah. And you so, could. You could
0: be, I mean, you
2: could win the Super Bowl with Michael Vick and Vonte's Perfect and Pac-Man Jones, and people would say, O.J. No, Simpson they, is oh, running back coach. You O.J. Simpson come in here with, to the offensive <laughs> coordinator, but it doesn't matter because, as the great Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. So they are not worried about any of this other nonsense. And that's why like
0: I I, I disagree with Anthony. Like I, I think the guy's going to get a job. Because there's a track record. It's not as if he was a guy who turned around a club and made them a playoff team. They won a World Series. And now, I guess part of the question would be, as a fan base, does does he get to bring scouts with him? Can I don't know how the contracts work, especially with like their minor league scouts uh, think, or whatever. But can, about, can you think
1: about what the Astros have been through, Russ? Sure. They had the assistant general manager fired during the, right oh the God, world right before the World Series. Nonsense. He's yeah. being a tool. Okay. Or okay. Yeah. But yeah, but Lunau allowed for this to go on. It created this culture. He had a, a manager who was pretty arrogant. I mean, you know, it, I know that the writers liked AJ Hinch because he was he would talk to the writers, but he went about managing the game with an with an arrogance. The whole team had that kind of culture and philosophy like that it happened we, on his watch. we are better than you and then it comes out that the team that is we are better than you cheats and the guy who is at the top of that food chain is Jeff now, and now will forever be linked to running a cheating team and cheating organization
0: he cannot get a job in baseball again. Are you saying that the Houston Af- Astros suffered from institutional arrogance? <laughs> yeah. You almost said the Houston Afros. Uh, you? <laughs> yeah.
2: That would have been a good Freudian. Yeah. All right, well, uh, we're 15 minutes in, so let's. Uh, while we're on <laughs> you baseball. don't want to talk anymore
3: Astros baseball? Let's
2: do the one yeah. Phillies topic that's actually worth talking about right now. Uh, JT Realmuto of he wants a certain amount of money. The Phillies believe he's worth another amount of money. Uh, therefore, arbitration we go. Uh, are they being cheap
3: i'll start um
2: would other teams have locked up jt this real is going Muto? to be a record
3: uh, deal either way for real Muto. A, a catcher has never gotten this amount of money whether it be 10 million or the 12.4 that he's asking for in, in this year of arbitration before he becomes a free agent so let's start with that um mm-hmm. uh, it's been pointed out that this is a little bit about Ramuto himself it's also about the catcher position this has a, been a point of contention for the Players Association catchers being undervalued by baseball executives and so him being the best catcher in baseball this this has come to the forefront I don't think that what the Phillies are proposing necessarily makes them cheap uh, I do think that in light of their resistance to go over the luxury tax uh, I think their reluctance to kind of be aggressive and be all in over the the last two off seasons up until the point now that they won't go over the luxury tax calls into question uh, their approach in this situation. I Can think in, say- in a vacuum, this isn't a big deal, but when you look at the greater picture, right or wrong, I think that the Phillies are developing a little bit of a perception problem with the fan base and, and, I think it's fair to be critical of them because of it.
2: Yeah, can you say stupid money and can you say sick money and can you talk about all these different things? And then when you get to the, make it sound like you pay the tax, but then when you start to get closer, you kind of get wet feet and you know maybe you're, you're thinking twice about it. But did they lay a did they lay a framework or a groundwork last year that is untenable for them to to keep up
1: with? they're, they're going to be willing to go over that luxury tax if they have. A season, a, a good start to the season, and they're approaching that trade deadline and are like, okay, now we think we have a chance. The rest you of think this Middleton year, needs
2: to see needs to see just a little bit more. He to, needs to, to
1: see to, that this team that was put together by Clentac and and McPhail as president mm-hmm. that they are able to compete in this division because if they're, if they're not, those guys will not be back next year, and he doesn't want to have to pay that tax. As a result of a GM and president that are not running the team. I think that's a great next year.
3: You know, how much trust does he have in his baseball people? Because they come they come to him and say, Hey, listen, we've built you this expensive product. We're gonna need another twenty five million and he goes, Well, wait a minute, you know, I because it would be unfair to characterize John Middleton as cheap. Right. That's that's unfair. That's yeah. that's not true. Yeah. I mean, he has spent quite a great deal of money. Now, the way that money has been utilized is has really been the, the key issue here. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, listen, any fan that looks at this situation says, hey, the Phillies are, you know. It, they're in this this standoff over two point four million dollars. By the way, I think Real Muto is going to get it. He, um, he will. Maybe they come to an 11th hour agreement. It doesn't look like it. Uh, but I, I, I do understand why fans would be put off by this
0: for sure. Well, it's also funny because like if you go back and, and just like do a very nice advanced search on Twitter of the amount of times the Phillies called him the best catcher in baseball sure. was 19 times over the course of the season. I just mm-hmm. did a cute little search. Oh, uh, an advanced Twitter search? An advanced search. Twitter search, yes. So 19 times <laughs> the, the Phillies this season Talked about the best catcher in baseball being JT Realmuto. So if, if I'm JT's agent, I go into negotiations and I say, well, you were very forthright in him being the best catcher in baseball. You print so out, print pay out him all 19 times all 19. That they said it, and you put Include it on the a, hyperlinks. Make, you put it the QR board. codes.
2: Get everybody involved. It's like Congress when they have the easel and they put the exactly. big <laughs> di- diagram <laughs> on there that you could <laughs> just say otherwise. But and I
0: mean, like if if you're his agent, there. I mean, th- you have at least the, the team's social there. social social media account you know, goading people into voting him to the All-Star team and congratulating him on awards at the end of the season. Silver slugger. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they will bring that up in that meeting, I am sure, but it really
3: does become more of a numbers-based negotiation. Now, I will say this. Uh, I believe, Anthony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the last time they went to arbitration with one of their players was Ryan Howard in Ryan Howard 08, correct. right? Yep. So for the people out there that are saying like, well, you know, if they're going to nickel and dime him in this situation, it's going to make it harder to sign him long term. I don't believe that whatsoever. If he likes it here and they come to him with a fair offer, multi year offer this spring, I think the deal gets done. I I don't think there's going to be a, a sour taste left in his mouth to the point that it would inhibit their ability to lock him up long term. Uh, so that I do not think is a concern.
1: Right, I don't think there's. I don't think this is an issue so much between the Phillies and and real Muto as it is as it's the perception that there that it yeah. exists.
2: Uh, wrapping up the Phillies, any other thoughts on the moves that were announced or or that were made? I guess uh, Vinny Velasquez got what uh, three point six? Three point six million, Zach Eflin, uh, any anything in that crop of guys that jumps out at you? No, it's just
3: uh, it, you know. These are guys that they're going to rely on in 2020, and if you would have asked me in June or July of last season, is there any way that Vince Velasquez would have another life in this rotation, I'd say there's no way. And uh, I think that that's part of the reason that the, the Phillies aren't garnering the type of excitement that they'd probably like to be at this point. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, where do you want to go next? Do you want to talk about assistant football coaches? Do you want to talk about Corey Unlin? Let's do it. Mike Gro, Carson Walsh. Uh, let's take it back, actually, because this happened after we did the last show uh, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman did their season-ending press conference, and they were asked a bunch of questions about the assistance. Uh, straight up, Doug Peterson was asked how uh, Mike Grow and Carson Walsh did, and he said, quote, I think both of those guys did an outstanding job for me this year. There are a lot of things we faced on offense, as you know, through adversity, through injury, through many different facets of trying to get the pieces together. So my hat goes off to both of those gentlemen because of the game plans that Mike and I and the offensive staff put together, first of all. Then here towards the end of the season, Carson Walsh having a big impact on getting these young players ready to go and play at a high level. That's not easy, blah, 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 yada, 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 as uh, George Costanza once said. <laughs> and then they said, a uh, the follow-up question here, will Coach Grow and Coach uh, Walsh be back, though? And he said, Doug Peterson says, yes, both of those guys will be back, and then 24 hours later they were fired. So uh, f- did anybody else find that to be? Is I, I wrote on the website uh, it, was a, it was a PR disaster, and not the kind of PR disaster where it's like the uh, – the the deep water horizon oil spill where it's where it's you got like you know uh pelicans with oil on them and stuff. it's not like a long it's not like a long-term kind of thing but the way that they handled it in the uh, you know in the idea of saying yes they're going to be back and then 24 hours later firing them it just seemed like such a botched like pr staff kind of thing i don't know how that happens but i feel but i guess the bottom line is that i just like regardless of whether those guys were good coaches and deserved to come back or not, I feel like they did them dirty.
3: Do you believe that the Eagles went into that press conference and did not make those decisions before speaking to the media? Like do you we do we really believe that that Jeff Lurie let that happen and said, "Oh wait, you know what? I, I heard what you said yesterday, but I've been thinking about it." As Jeff McLean, I believe, reported. From mid December onward, that he yeah. did not want these guys back. That's the first time that Doug Peterson caught wind of of those wishes. That doesn't add up to, and that's not to say that what Jeff McClain reported is wrong. It's something just doesn't add up. It's to just me. like they they don't have snafus like this
2: when it comes to PR. I mean, Doug's Doug's not dumb enough to. This is
3: Anthony's like
2: area of expertise. I feel like. Yeah, I, I see him kind of like working up a take over there, but. Well, uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Well, let me read here. Let me read the explanation that Doug gave the very next day for more context. Right. So he says, yeah, first of all, I appreciate both of those guys, everything they did for me. Mike was on staff when we won a championship. Obviously, I have to make decisions that I feel are in the best interest of the football team. I want to make sure my comments the other day might have been a middle. uh, They were a little bit misleading. I did a poor job there communicating in the press conference. Basically, what I intended to say about my coaching staff was that I was still in the process of evaluating, evaluating everything. That's really what the week after the season is about. We take a look at everything from the roster to personnel. I did a poor job of communicating that. For that, I apologize for misleading anybody there, especially I think I put Jim Schwartz in a tough situation, Uh, but I want to let everybody know that these are ultimately my decisions and I do what's best for the football team. Do you believe him, Anthony Sanfilippo?
1: No, he fell on the sword.
2: For Jeffrey Lurie, yes. So you think Doug Peterson came out on Tuesday and said these guys are coming back, and then Jeff Lurie saw that and he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" I, I think this ain't happening. I think Doug, I think Doug's got a little bit,
1: a little bit more to it than that. I think Doug probably was aware that the owner didn't want them to come back probably was aware of that conversation that you know whatever there
2: was he was negotiating for them to publicly in the publicly yes yeah Yeah, i do and then jeffrey laurie put the the kibosh on that and said we're not doing that yep i
1: think i honestly think that's what happened and i think here's the take that i was formulating in my brain
2: yeah i could see you working (laughs) (laughs) Uh, deep thought
1: is it possible this is the question, I guess. That Bob Bob asked a question. and I'll, I'm going to answer it with a question: Is it possible that this organization is a little bit more dysfunctional than we think? And the reason that we don't think it's dysfunctional is because we won.
3: Is it that, or is it that yeah. we won a Super Bowl and now everybody's getting a little bit? Because, hey, it was me. It because it was I me. I felt
1: like that there was. At times in the past, if you really go back through the the Lori era, there have been situations in the past, not this much of a snafu, but where you kind of thought one thing was going to happen and then something else, and then mm-hmm. you know Joe Banner was was always kind of meddling kind yeah, of guy, and stuff was kind of yeah, you know what I'm saying. It, so yeah. like there have been inst- instances in the past prior to 2017 where you sit there and go up, oh, same old Eagles. Well,
3: do you believe that they were on the brink of hiring Tom Coughlin or Ben McAdoo and needed Andy Reid to talk them <laughs> into hiring Doug Peterson? Because were isn't you- that something? The former coach of your team was the guy that that lowered the boom and said, you got to get this guy. And let Jeff me, said, he's my guy.
2: Then. Let me answer Anthony's question with a question because Jeff Lurie. <laughs> Lots of questions. Welcome to Crossing Broadcast, where yeah, we the, start
0: with analysis and we answer questions title, with questions. The title
2: of this one will be Inception. Um, do you think Jeffrey, because Jeffrey Lurie uh, had, you know, let Andy Reid stick around for 14 years or whatever, right? And uh, then we had the whole Chip Kelly emotional intelligence nonsense and whatever. Do you think Jeffrey Lurie in 2020 is more of the owner who had to come in and be hands-on and kind of take his football team back? Or now that Doug Peterson, who was an Andy Reid disciple, won him a Super Bowl, do you think it's the Jeffrey Lurie of old who trusts his coach to kind of do his thing? I mean, I guess your answer would have to be predicated on your conspiracy th- or your theory. It's not a cons- <laughs> conspiracy. It's just a theory, right? I okay. guess. Uh, I mean, if you believe that he was trumped by Jeffrey Laurie, then yeah. I guess the, there's lingering Chip Kelly – residue yeah well i do
1: i mean and look i mean there's another thing another story this has nothing to do with anything but i'm just going to show you how why i think lori is kind of taking the team back a little bit and this has nothing to do with with what we're talking about but a story came out this week that lori has finally said we're going to bring back the kelly green as the third alternate jersey in 2021 or 2020 season right so that's finally happening and the big thing it was when
3: was that
0: from, I think it was from... The story, well, story it, it was came, written a I year ago, but I mean, it would apply.
3: They, they haven't had that jersey in 25 years now, so I feel like that this would be the year. It would for
1: me yeah. about a year okay, ago. Okay,
3: but, but it's coming it back up back, again. Yeah, it came back it's, around. It's, it's
1: okay. back up again. Okay. Um, so, if that's the case, you know, he's always had a, an argument with his ex-wife, who is the one who who dictates the midnight green and di- dictates the all-black everything, right, for the Eagles. So maybe he kind of takes that back and says, okay, now we're going to do that because that's what the fans want. Maybe he's getting a little bit more, showing a little bit more involvement as an owner as opposed to just being a guy who sits in the back, writes the checks and says, I'll talk to you guys twice a year. Beginning of the season, end of the season. Well, this, me, uh, this
2: would me, be nice if, if he was like more like Jerry Jones, because even though it would be like a train wreck, he would come out and speak after every game, and we'd have more of an idea of what he was thinking and what kind of guy, guy he is and right. where he's coming right. from, because he always yeah. speaks like once or twice a year. You let
0: know? me answer Anthony's question with a question. Uh, man. <laughs> can we, can give us another Robin Leach impersonation no, while you're at no, it. <laughs> is it worrisome to you? Does it set up any red flags that Jeffrey Leary might be getting – too involved with the club, like no, and, and I, I do ask this because I know it, it had come up right after the season ended. But the who makes the actual decisions about the coaching staff? Should that be the coach's decision? Should it? Should the GM have a hand in it and have the ultimate say? Should the owner have a say? You look at Jerry Jones, who's always involved, and it's been an unsuccessful franchise for sixteen years, right? Twenty five years. Yeah. And so then the question, I, I think has to be asked like do you really want to have do you really want to have an owner that maybe you want to have an owner that's more public but isn't meddling behind the scenes because there there seems to be a very fine line for a long time people wanted somebody to care about the sixers because ed snyder's baby was the flyers he didn't seem to care as much publicly about the sixers the idea was oh let's go and get a new owner and then that guy will be really involved in the day to day process you got josh harris not exactly the best public speaker and kind of you know lives operates from his high castle in in new york I, I look at this now, and it's just like if if Jeffrey Lurie is making the call on Doug Peterson's staff against what Doug wanted, and maybe even against what Howie Roseman wanted, is that a good thing? Is, is it because Jeffrey Lurie has been around the team, observed what those position coaches do, and made that determination, or is it because he's kind of caving to public pressure a little bit that – we can't just go back and and run the same thing out again next year, hoping for it to be successful. The
1: first answer to your question is, is the difference between him and Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones is an owner who has declared himself the general manager of okay. the team, which Jeff Lurie is not doing. Okay, so that's that's the difference. Number one between those two. But secondly, I don't have a problem with owners kind of getting involved in things like this because you're talking about person, you're talking about your employees, right? And an owner owns a team, and yes, he's got managers further down who are responsible for this but if if he doesn't feel like they're doing the job the right way and needs changes need to be made i'm okay with them stepping in from time to time yeah you don't want them meddling you don't want them hands in the cookie jar all the time but here and there i'm okay with it because
3: look at it this this is not necessarily a bad thing like right i these mean these guys weren't there's no there's no evidence that suggests that these guys were good at their job. Right, you know, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Right? Yeah. That, yeah, right. I think, does need to be said. Like, it's, this is not some great yeah. injustice that exactly. Jeff Lurie is handed down it, upon. It, 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 Doug with Doug all Peterson. the
2: inception questions upon questions, we've uh, gone well beyond the surface matter, which is, dude, should these guys have even been back in the first place? Right. Probably probably not. Although it is kind of like, you know, unfair to Carson Walsh, who's, who's you know, very new to that job and they have they've had what like four wide receiver coaches in four years or something like that now but no I mean I I guess the question is you know when you have Doug Peterson and this will kind of segue into the next topic but when Doug Peterson's a play caller I'll, I'll give you kind of like an idea and you, you guys tell me what you think of this is the, the hot name out there is Deuce Staley right we'll make him the offensive coordinator well I mean you know The offensive coordinator in the Eagles system is very hard to define, right? Because if you ain't calling the plays, then what are you doing? You're game planning. Uh, We don't know what the game plan is, so it's hard to evaluate you. You know, at the college level, a lot of offensive-minded coaches, and Dana Holgerson did this at West Virginia, who I watched for eight years underachieve, right? He calls the plays. He's an offensive Big 12 guy, comes from an offensive coordinator background, so he has two guys below him who are co-offensive coordinators and they're each like a position coach, you know, so it's like wide receivers, co-offensive coordinator, and it's like running backs, co-offensive coordinator. So what if you did something like Deuce Staley, assistant head coach, running backs slash co-offensive coordinator, and then you had like a young uh, outside kind of guy, either somebody from college or wherever, and make him, you know, wide receivers or whatever his specialty is, slash co-offensive coordinator, and it gives you a fresh perspective in there. Deuce maybe is re-energized, you know, by the fact that he gets a bigger role, and then Doug kind of has like a group of of uh, you know a triumvirate of that, uh, offensive people planning.
0: Doesn't that kind of feel like a, a medal for everybody? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody uh, gets an, like another internal promotion. Like I get why do Staley do Staley not only has because the running backs for the most part over the last few years seem to have developed under him. Like Chris Clement came out of, or Corey Clement came out of nowhere to be a good player. Boston Scott developed stinks, in front of our, Yeah, uh, Boston Scott developed in front of our <laughs> eyes this season. <laughs> Like, is it just because Deuce also played here and so there's a loyalty factor that fans feel because And Deuce, if, if was, Deuce not, was and Deuce
2: was here before Doug too, so he was not he was part of Chip's staff.
0: If Deuce were an exceptional position coach And they thought that he had offensive coordinator potential. Wouldn't he have gotten the nod by virtue of him having been in the organization? Yeah, don't you think that Doug Peterson, like, don't you think Doug Peterson
3: at this point would say like, "Wow, over last season, Deuce had a lot of really good ideas. He's qualified to do this job. Let's hire him." I think the one thing that has become clear, and if if Jeff Lurie was involved in this decision, I think that it was done with the idea in mind that we need an outside voice. We need a different voice in the room. We can't just keep internally promoting. We can't just promote from within everyone's just kind of saying, oh, that's what I would have done. That's yeah. what I would have done.
2: Yeah, because you don't want to get to a situation. Well, this, this hate team to needs, bring it up. Because this team needs some new life yeah, into I don't, this offensive I didn't, identity. I kind of accidentally go here because the guy has passed, rest in peace, Ed Snyder, who said we don't need a fresh perspective in the famous press conference or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Eagles do could kind of need an outside something. In terms of going, go. But co- Deuce, Deuce Staley um, – Deuce, Deuce – was I think the knockback then, or the or the one thing that people used against him was like Mike Groh had been coaching longer in at all the different ranks. So the question was whether he was any good. I don't know. You know, he pointed out that he got fired by his dad in Virginia, but yeah, I mean Deuce, Deuce. I think maybe that's part of the reason that he was he was from Chip's staff, and also he hadn't technically, even though he played in the league, he wasn't coaching as long. Maybe that's why people saw it as a thing. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, let's so.
0: get into the idea of the co offensive coordinators and such after the break. Plus. If you want to call in, we've got plenty of time to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers who, uh, without Joel Embiid against Dallas, it was not a good showing. Kevin wrote up a bunch of stuff for the site, as he always does. He is, after all, the machine. Want to get into some Sixers after the break as well? Give us a call, 888-728-9941. Again, that's 888-728-9941. This is Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Are you looking for your new must-attend spot in all of southeastern PA? Go check out Odd Logic Brewing Company, located at 500 Bristol Pike in Bristol, PA. Odd Logic Brewing Company is the place to go to watch any Philadelphia sporting event. Plus, this weekend, they've got Conor McGregor in his return to UFC. The prelims start at 8 p.m. The main card starts at 10 p.m. And Odd Logic Brewing Company will have food trucks outside and the match on every TV inside of their tap room. The best part, this weekend, they will not charge you a cover to watch the fight. While most bars and most breweries will charge you an arm and a leg, Odd Logic Brewing Company costs you nothing. Check them out this weekend. They're open from 5 to 10 p.m. on Thursday, 4 to 12 on Friday, 12 to 12 on Saturday, and 1 to 8 on Sunday. Plus on tap, they've got a wide variety. They've got Wander Into Existence, a 4.8% Hefeweizen, Deer Summer, a 5.2% Wheat Ale, and off we go, a brand new Double IPA, 7.8%. Including some tropical and citrus fruit notes. Uh, they've got the Hooligan Factory at 6%, an American Brown Ale. On another level, 6.5% IPA. On another level with peaches, apricots, and vanilla beans, 6.5% IPA. And plus, they've got some handcrafted cocktails from 1675 Whiskey, including a peach tea and a raspberry lime. Plus, get ready for this, this is exciting. For those who are your designated driver, try the Caveman Coffee Company Nitro Cold Brew. Always available on Nitro. Give them a look. Odd Logic Brewing Company, 500 Bristol Pike in Bristol, PA. Check them out. Let them know that you heard about them on Crossing Broadcast, on Snow the Goalie, on the Press Row Show, via Crossing Broad. Let them know. And uh, go check them out this weekend. Odd Logic Brewing Company. You will love it.
2: All right, we're back on Crossing Broadcast. Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. I got Bob Wankel over here. Russ, I think, is in the bathroom. He may or may not be rejoining us. We'll see. If you want to call in and uh, make an Eagles point, Sixers, uh, whatever, Philadelphia Phillies, 888-728-9941. 888-728-9941. Bob, I believe before we went to break, I interrupted you rudely. I would now like to hand the stage back to you if you'd like to make your co-offensive coordinator's point.
3: You are forgiven. Uh, I guess my thought about the idea of having co-offensive coordinators is are you limiting your potential pool for that job by doing that right because like how many nfl coaches take coordinator positions as a stepping stone to becoming a head coach
2: yes so this is a good point, yeah. now
3: when you have the the run game coordinator and the passing game coordinator which is very common at the at the collegiate level if you do that are you perhaps turning off certain candidates that say listen you know i i I need to call the shots. You know, it's gotta be my show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're already not call. I'm already not calling plays as it is. I'm, how do you there's like yeah, I, how my do fear i sell is my... that there's already too many voices in the room as it is like
2: what am i what really am i putting so on now are resume? you
3: diluting that position and yeah. its
2: significance even further well that's uh you know i think there's this uh parallel to be drawn here to the 76ers and uh you know ime udoka was on uh greg popovich's staff for a long time down in san antonio then he comes to philadelphia to be an assistant here i'm wondering well what's the What's in it for him? He had interviewed it a couple places before. Maybe it's like a fresh start. Maybe he gets more responsibility in Philadelphia and he's you know playing for a better team right now. If they go to the finals or if they go to the Eastern Conference Finals, his name is kind of in a higher profile spotlight. Maybe that's it. But that's a good point. Yeah, because if you're uh if, you know, say we'll say John D. Filippo and uh Deuce, well, John D. is not a good example because he's coming off of uh two failed offensive coordinator jobs, but Somebody else who's new to it, you know. Yeah, it's like, what? Do you, what how do I convince people that what I did was impactful uh, for the Eagles when there was f- four other, five other voices in that room? And it's kind of like when, hard, when they hard talk to about
3: point. internal evaluation of position coaches, I'm always kind of curious as to what goes into that evaluation because how do you look at a guy like Carson Walsh and and say, "Wow, yeah. Yeah. we have a hard Wow, you t- were horrendous t- t- this season." I mean, I you know, know. like yeah. I, how do you how do you look at that because? He clearly lacked talent. If anything, you could say, well, you know, once Greg Ward did get onto the field, he developed very quickly. And, uh, you know, that's a a feather in his cap. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard to look at the Eagles' production at wide receiver and say, you know, this guy did enough to be able to bring him back. But it it goes back to what we saw, uh, you know, last season with Gabe Kapler. I could argue that he didn't have the talent. He didn't have the pitching. So. I don't know. What was
2: have... it? It was his guy in San Francisco who he yeah. knew, and kind of internal stuff where it's probably that it holds the weight of Doug Peterson, yeah, a Super Bowl winner, you know, talking to uh, the Browns owner on the who's the Browns owner Haslam, yeah, the Haslam, Haslam. Family, yeah, t- telling him this guy's a real deal. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot. Of, I think probably more of it is that. You, you know, if
3: that I'm Christian Carson Walsh show. right now, I say, hey, I had Deontay Burnett, Shelton Gibson, who who was on the Browns practice squad, I believe, for the most of uh, the 2019 season.
2: Yeah, you know. It, West Virginia.
3: I mean, d- unless you just look at it, it's J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and a complete inability to develop. Maybe they had some high expectations for him it, during minicamp in the summer, and then what they got out of him, they just said he was just so technically unsound that we pinned it on him. Well, Corey, I you also have
0: the regression of Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, yes or so right, no, but like at you, what point do you, pin, do you put that you, on the player, right? Like, I think a lot of it is on the been player, in the league but- for f-
3: five years and i mean it was a productive player in one season under three different four different wide receivers coaches. and i'll
2: keep beating the drum too and saying like he had to play different positions this year when the deep threat went down for two straight years i mean he was really good when he played in the slot in the super bowl like i'll try to give credit where credit's due on that one yeah he's got to go but i mean that that situation was just untenable that way you know Corey unland too it's funny because you talk about like you know i was looking at the reaction to him uh taking the um Lions, uh defensive coordinator position today and a lot of the reaction from eagles fans was like well the corners stink you know so i'm glad he's gone or whatever uh but you know again so what so what's the what happens there you know he's got 16 years of experience he knows matt patricia going back 16 years now and you know again like how do you do those evaluations is if you would look at the if the eagles corners in a vacuum and the way they performed you would say wow these guys stink but then again there's layers inception right so Jim how much of it is Jim Schwartz's scheme how much of it is injuries how much of it is because Ronald Darby isn't maybe not might not be that good like again I'm on
3: the other side of it with Unlin I, I look at the injuries that he had to deal with and what they were able to do to piece that secondary together the one guy that I would say they may not have gotten as much out of him as his talent would indicate would be Ronald Darby But Jalen Mills is what he is. He lacks top-end speed. He competes. Trayvon LeBlanc came out of nowhere. He's become a very good nickel-dime corner for this team. Strap. Strap. You know, Vontae Maddox, I guess, you know, he's he's made plays. He's had his ups and downs. But, you know, I just... When you look at the whole picture, I think that the lack of production at cornerback is more of an indictment of the talent at cornerback. And I could make an argument that he actually did a decent job getting something out of yeah. those guys. And not for nothing, but those players loved him. They spoke very highly of him. People in the organization spoke very highly of him. And that goes into the, what is the evaluation process of a position coach? Is it all about output? Because is it all about production? Because I don't think it is. Otherwise, how does he land that job? Because you look at the Eagles and say, oh, you know. Corners got burned in the playoff game. He's not worthy of a a coordinator position. I just don't think that there's a a direct translation between A and B in that case.
2: Rush Joy is the host of the show. He was also a John Filippo and Frank Reich truther. Uh, I'd be interested in getting his take, if he's willing to share it, on John
0: Filippo being fired for the second time in two years. John Filippo deserves another job in this league. And there's one simple reason, and his name is Gardner Minshew. That in and of itself is enough proof that the guy can develop a quarterback. We saw arguably Carson Wentz's best season with John DiFilippo as coordinator. Sure, Carson this year. So broke... Does he deserve to be a coordinator because of this? Or want to just be a really good quarterback coach? If we want to go with the want, really want, co-coordinator, yeah. then maybe. As an OC, I don't know. I genuinely don't know because, again, it's like we say about every um, position coach or every assistant coach—we don't actually know what they do because we're not with them. John Filippo, I think, just—he's—he's he's found himself in a couple of situations where it was almost a no-win. Like in—in in this case, is Nick Foles. is is, is Filippo in a bad spot in Jacksonville? Was he in a bad spot because the organization overvalued what Nick Foles was as an NFL quarterback? Is that why he ultimately? was axed well did or he have d- anything to do with the acquisition of nick full well, and, he got, what, and, yeah. he got and injured. i'm saying and yeah. so and he got and, injured too. and so is it all is part of this just damage control by the front office to say you know what we didn't get the most out of this quarterback and it's de filippo's fault like i don't see it i think de filippo kind of had a reputation
2: for being a little bit of a hard guy behind the scenes too maybe it just didn't jive with some people but yeah, again, and uh, Frank Reich not necessarily. I mean, he's a good coach, but I don't think Indy was well, light, with, lighting the world on fire. The then. story with
3: mm-hmm. Di Filippo has always been that he was kind of like the bad cop to Frank Reich's to the good, good cop. cop right? Yes, yeah, so it was a complimentary. But thing. now, is that something? Is that a is that a dynamic that this Eagles offense needs? Do they need somebody to come into the room and make it a little bit uncomfortable? You know, is is in yeah, light of like, what we watched this year? Do you think that being a little bit too comfortable, being a little bit too set in their ways. Was a problem with this offense, along with lack of talent, a lack, of, a lack of playmakers, a lack of guys that could take the top off. You watch that Kansas City yeah. team yesterday, and you I mean, realize how far away what, this team is.
2: Yeah. What was the uh, takeaway from you from you watching the divisional round? Because to me, it goes back to something I've been saying. I think I've repeated it forty, 40 times since we started doing the show. But again, it's it's the lack of dynamic playmaking at the skill positions I watch uh Devontae Adams go up and and catch a ball turn around put his foot in the grass and then burn a guy for a touchdown I'm sitting here thinking who
0: on the Eagles is doing that when you guys watch that game though did you have like a weird kind of sinking feeling that if if you had a, a healthy Carson Wentz that you could have made that a game I believe that the Eagles could have played a competitive yeah. game in Green Bay last night. I don't think, even with
3: Deshaun Jackson back and Lane Johnson returning, that they would have won the game. I mean, I know that they beat them there earlier in the season without Deshaun Jackson, but I, I didn't feel as if the Eagles were miles away from either of those teams. I really don't. But I don't think – I didn't get the feeling, wow,
0: the Eagles would have been in the NFC Championship game had they survived the Seahawks. It kind of makes you appreciate Russell Wilson even more, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Like if they it's have phenomenal. If they have an – Average NFL quarterback, that team might be. Like They're a four, or, four, there and, four there and twelve, like six five and t- yeah, five yeah. and eleven team. Yeah.
2: What'd you guys make of TurboTax using everybody's favorite Eagle Orlando Scandrick in a commercial?
3: I won't be using TurboTax. Can I drop my account? <laughs> Do you think H and
2: R Block just got a, got a bunch of uh, customers and filled it I thought that was shit. It was a great play actually, but it's Luke Falk. I mean, it's a strip sack. I mean, that guy is terrible. Um, uh, before we go to break, Marshawn Lynch's uh, post game uh, comments. Did you have anything thoughts about those?
3: Thought uh, that that was the uh, the best part of Marshawn Lynch's return. Uh, <laughs> if you hand the ball to him inside the three yard line, he was pretty effective this postseason. But every time that he touched the football yesterday outside of the five yard line, it diminished Seattle's chances to win that game. That was a waste of time. That there was is, more about. There is something really. It was more about it. swag than anything it. else.
0: There was some. Real important advice in that though. And it's not it was something good that... financial
2: advice. It was kind of like Wu Tang financial. You know, <laughs> you got to diversify your bonds.
0: You say it one more time.
2: You got to diversify your bonds. We're not going to say what comes after that. We're going to go to a break on Crossing Broadcast. We're going to talk about <laughs> the Sixers coming back. We're going to talk about the College Football National Championship. And I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore. You are not going to want to miss that. 888 728 9941. You're listening to Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN. Conference championship week is here.
1: Four teams, two games, so little time left in the season. Don't miss out. Get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, DraftKings has great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, they have it all. This week only, bet on any star player to score the first TD of the game with 10 to 1 odds. It doesn't get better than that. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You won't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Broad when you sign up. For a limited time, All new users can get a sign up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign up bonus to $1,000. Don't forget that is code CROSSINGBROAD and get your sign up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match each, up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: We're back on Crossing Broadcast here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia, and you just heard... That lovely voice of Anthony Sanfilippo, who's off to the Flyers game. will be joining him shortly. But DraftKings Sportsbook, we love them. And uh, the guy that we love the most because he gives us the best picks is uh, Big Bet Bob. The Natty tonight. The Natty. You have Clemson and LSU. There's ACC legends.
3: Clemson Tigers. Uh, After the... Semi-final round, I said, wow, nobody's going to beat this LSU team. Nobody. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but I would actually take Clemson with the four and a half points tonight. The line is Clemson. sinking on Clemson. It was at five and a half, six earlier, uh, actually last week. Now we're sitting at four and a um, got to be honest with you, the team's won 25 straight games. Davos Swinney, I think, is actually reaching the point where he's underrated, as Kevin has a gag reflex as I say that. I just think that, to be perfectly honest with you, and we're going to talk about this game a little bit in a minute. Um, I think that it's amazing that you can win twenty-five straight games, come off a national championship, and and be able to look your team in the face with a, or look your team in the eye with a straight face and say nobody believes in us. It's hard. I know, man.
2: It's hard to pick against Clemson. They are really good. The ACC thing and the SEC thing is strange. Um, Clemson has a really, really, really good defense. Like, do not sleep on that defense. Um, LSU has arguably the best pass defense in the country also. You know, I I look at... And offense. I look at LSU, you know, earlier in the year, you know, they gave up 38 points to Texas. They gave up 38 to Vandy, 28 to Florida. The, The best but they were kill- I mean they were killing teams 55 points, 45 points, 65, 66, 42, 42. The fewest points that they scored this year was against Auburn. Auburn was probably the best defense that they faced. Clemson's defense is better than Auburn's defense. I just get the feeling it's going to be like a little more of a lower scoring game I think than people realize. I watched Oklahoma in person this year and I was not really impressed with them defensively. Like I I I think that What LSU did to Oklahoma offensively was not really surprising to me. Uh, If they can do anything close to that versus Clemson, I would be stunned. Like, I I feel like this is more of like a like a 24 to 20 or like a 27 to i won't do it but if i had
3: thing. to bet the total i would i would take the under i would actually go under 65 and a half and that's dropped from 69 and a half to 67 and a half now it's sitting at 65
2: yeah clemson clemson won their games 52 to 14 24 to 10 41 to 6 52 to 10 21 to 20 45 to 14 45 to 10 59 to 7 59 to 14 55 to 10 52 to 3 38 to 3 62 to 17, and then 29 to 23 in the in the semifinal. But the team that gave him the the most trouble offensively during the regular season was North Carolina. North Carolina hung a ton of points on Temple. Temple's defense is not bad either, so it's just hard. It's hard for me to look at two teams that are 14 and 0 and say that.
3: I love LSU. I love Joe Burrow, (laughs) but I do think that you get three, four years down the line, and you look back at this game. Clemson may have the better quarterback. They,
2: yeah. You know? Yeah. I never, all the talk is about Burrow, but uh, Trevor Lawrence has has not done much wrong. I, I think people were just looking for a little bit more from Clemson, which was hard for them to show when they were beating the crap out of Boston College. And, and I think there's like something to be said for a lack of know?
3: motivation. How do you get up week in, week out when you know – That when you show up, you probably will win the game. Quick
2: Sixers note tonight, uh, they're on the road uh, playing Indy. Bit of a revenge game for them. They got their doors blown off on New Year's Eve by T.J. McConnell and company not long ago. (laughs) And they're coming off a bad game in Dallas. Coming off a great game in that one against Boston. Uh, You know, glass half full, I think, for me still. You know, because Joe Allen Bede's not playing. And the fact is they've got three wins over Boston. They beat Toronto. They beat Miami. They beat Indy. They beat uh, Milwaukee, so they've they've beaten all of the teams that are above them in the East, and so in a way they've passed the test against the the best teams that the Eastern Conference has to offer. The problem is they can't get up for Orlando on a Thursday night, you know, they, or they can't shoot against Dallas on a Saturday night. So, yeah, you know, to me it's it's less about any long term concerns I have. I think they're built for the playoffs. It's just about getting there where you don't have to go on the road in the first round or the second round. You know, which looks like it's going to be harder for them to do, but. One of the interesting topics was, did they have to shoot more three-pointers? Brett Brown was asking this. He said, quote, last week, this is where my problem is. This team needs to find more three-point opportunities. We do. We need to hunt threes in a more definitive way than we currently are. I think the three-point shot is not about, okay, we need to make more. We need to take more. And to his point, the Sixers shoot 36% from three this year. So that's 12th in the NBA. They're only shooting 33 points per game. That's 25th out of 30 teams. So wouldn't common knowledge suggest to you, Russ, that if you're good at something that you should keep doing it?
0: It would, but it's not how the team's built. But it's nuance, yeah. It's not only – you look at the roster construction, we know that Ben Simmons won't shoot from deep. Josh Richardson's a very iffy, somewhat reluctant three-point shooter. Tobias Harris is – if there was anything you could take away from the Dallas Mavericks game, I think it was the first half Toby when he was aggressive constantly driving and was looking to get himself to the line which has been an issue with this team the the big fear and and this is i think part of the problem is you need some of your ancillary players to step up and come in off the bench and be reliable knockdown three-point shooters and i i don't mean to hit the hive and get the bees all angry. He needs to. Mike Scott needs to start shooting. But better. the Mike Scott hive has gotten really quiet over the last month or so. Uh, I hate to bring it up to these people because you know they're. I, I get that Mike Scott's a relatable guy. People enjoy him. He he seems like a a decent dude. But I'm gonna but, need you to hit a shot. But he's shooting twenty six point seven percent from three in the month of January. Uh, he did have a better December than November, but even in November in 16 games, he shot 30%. That doesn't get it done when you're playing the role that that you play. When you look across the league at second units, if you're going to play like a stretch four, you're expected to come in and shoot, I don't know, 38 odd percent, right? You should be a reliable enough guy that over the course of a game, you shoot three for five from deep or two for four, right? And if you're going to come in and, and hit one of every four threes, that doesn't get it done, and it's part, it negates so much of what Mike Scott should bring to the table, and he's he's proven in multiple scenarios to just be unplayable in a lot of situations this year. the The thing that you brought up about this team being built for the postseason, I think, is the thing that people have to have to keep their heads on straight. Got to hang about. on that, yeah. Because yeah. look, is it a problem if your team is unable to get up for these games against lower or against bottom feeding teams? or against fringe playoff teams, sure. And and you can get upset about it and if you so choose to, then by all means. The main thing here is that they need to try to get up to that second seed. They're not going to catch Milwaukee barring a Giannis injury. But if you get the second or third seed, you're pretty set. You this don't want to have
2: to go on the road until the the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, yeah then you've, you've got to remember other similar situations.
0: This team matches Milwaukee. They're both 18 and 2 at home this season. Um, the only team that's been arguably better is Miami. They're 17 and one at home. So home court advantage is really big. And and if you want to say Miami, you know, they they smashed Miami earlier in the season and they got got, you know, Miami got their revenge on them. And if you don't think that Jimmy Butler's gonna play mind games with Ben Simmons in the postseason, I, I you know, I don't know what to tell you. it's it's gonna be a thing. The 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 big thing here is, and Anthony and I had this discussion during the last Flyers game, it was I look at at like, what do you think this team should be, right? And you go back to the double-digit streak that the team went on winning uh, when Mark Hill Fultz broke Joel Embiid's face. And it started spawning once again when Embiid went out the first half of the Dallas game. People were like, man, this seems really buzzing. This team looks like a different squad. This looks like this was a team that was constructed to get out and move. And the only thing that I'll, I'll caution people about is Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion had a great team in Phoenix. They were a run and gun offense led by by uh, Mike D'Antoni. They were an incredible watch during the regular season, and then what would happen? They'd get into the postseason, Didn't work in the playoffs, and playoff basketball goes half court. Well, I'll give and you they this: they lock you down. And and if if your idea here is that Embiid is a problem because he's limiting what Ben Simmons can do and he's limiting the speed that you can play with. That's what you need in the postseason. I'll give you this stat. The Sixers are the third best corner three-point shooting
2: team so far this year at 42%. They only take the 22nd most corner threes in the NBA It's because Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Al Horford are not hitting from there. The only starters who are hitting from the corner, Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. Everybody else shooting from the corners is James Ennis, Matisse Theibel, Furkan Korkmaz, and Mike Scott. All right, we only got a couple minutes left, so I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore of the least enjoyable roads to drive in the Delaware Valley. <laughs> I'm going to start you off with uh, a, a classic, a tried and true, a tradition unlike any other. It's the Schuylkill Expressway in any direction. Now I'm going to give you a uh, 95, uh, north or south, really, Gerard uh, to Cotman, where PennDOT, is, for some reason, is rebuilding the highway, just moving it like 10 feet to the right. And that's about uh gonna take about 10 years to do. So 95 north or south. Gerard to Cotman. I'm gonna give you the 42 freeway south.
3: <laughs> the
0: traffic update.
2: To uh yeah, it sounds like I'm doing a traffic
0: <laughs> To the shore points. Now we've got
2: a jamo here on uh, camera one. Shout yeah. out Bob, Bob Kelly. Bob Kelly. Yeah. Uh not the hound, but the uh, uh traffic guy. And uh the final one I'm gonna give you is the Roosevelt Boulevard and my dark horse, uh my fifth one, I'll give you a bonus fifth pick here. Uh 322 Coming off at of ninety five south when it goes from a highway into one lane, so those are my, so my Mount Rushmore of the least enjoyable roads to drive in the Delaware Valley.
0: I like your road takes, and I want to point out really quickly because we've got to get going that there was something on TV this week that both uh, Bob and I featured in on, along with the maestro. He uh, came out of his uh, betting cave to make an appearance on TV, it's as did video as uh, as did video guy Craig. Did you guys? We rate? were on we were on the Philly Feud. We took on Branded Sports and Bob. We were victorious. That's right. Uh, Just want to shout out all of our haters that didn't believe in us. Yeah, I've there. been told not to shout out the person who uh, installed us as five hundred underdogs, but uh, he knows who he is. It's
2: a big yeah. victory for Crossing Broad. I, yeah. I don't. I think victory was the only option because I don't think he would have been able to live it down. No offense to the guys that branded, but I mean, like we have a, a ten-year uh, tradition to uphold here. We are
3: I mean, older
0: and uh, older ner- and wiser. Bigger losers. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening to Crossing Broadcast. We'll be back next week. Thank you to Anthony, Kevin, Bob, and Lennox on the other side of the glass. We'll be back next week.